This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of pediatric femoral shaft fractures from the pediatric section on orthobullets.com. Pediatric femoral shaft fractures are one of the most common pediatric orthopedic fractures and are the most common reason for pediatric hospitalization due to orthopedic injury. Treatment may be casting or operative depending on the fracture pattern and the age of the patient. Any femur fracture in a child not yet walking should raise concern for non-accidental trauma. As far as the epidemiology, pediatric femoral shaft fractures make up 1.6 to 2% of all pediatric fractures. There's a bimodal distribution of pediatric femoral shaft fractures with an increased rate in toddlers aged 2 to 4 years and adolescents. And again, remember that pediatric femoral shaft fractures are the most common reason for pediatric hospitalization due to orthopedic injury. As far as the demographics for pediatric femoral shaft fractures, males are more commonly affected with a 2.6 to 1 ratio. With respect to pathophysiology, as far as the mechanism of injury, fall is the most common cause in children aged less than 10 years old. Motor vehicle accident is the most common cause in children greater than 10 years old. The pathophysiology of pediatric femoral shaft fractures are correlated with age due to the increased thickness of the cortical shaft during skeletal growth and maturity. As far as associated conditions with pediatric femoral shaft fractures, a high suspicion for child abuse is required. Abuse must be considered if the child is less than 3 years old and especially if present in a patient before walking age. Femur fractures are one of the most common fractures associated with child abuse. As far as medical conditions and comorbidities that are associated with pediatric femoral shaft fractures, osteogenesis imperfecta, osteopenia secondary to neuromuscular disorders, and benign or malignant bone tumors are all potentially associated conditions. As far as the prognosis of pediatric femoral shaft fractures, there is a high rate of fracture union if appropriate treatment is selected based on patient age and fracture pattern. Early surgical intervention, defined as less than 24 to 48 hours, of femur fractures in the setting of a closed head injury leads to decreased length of hospital stay and is not associated with an increase in pulmonary complications. Now, let's talk about some relevant anatomy. With respect to the osteology, remember that there is an anterior bow to the femur, and the isthmus is the narrowest portion of the femur. With respect to muscles, the iliopsoas creates a flexion and external rotation force on the proximal fragment, and adductors create a shortening and varus force on the distal fragment. As far as biomechanics, the femoral shaft cortical diameter and cortical thickness increase with age. Moving on to classification of pediatric femoral shaft fractures, the two main classification types are a descriptive classification and a stability classification. The descriptive classification includes characteristics of the fracture, location of the fracture, and integrity of the soft tissue envelope. With respect to characteristics of the fracture, these include things like a transverse, comminuted, spiral, or other fracture patterns. As far as the location of the fracture, these can be proximal, middle, or distal third. As far as the integrity of the soft tissue envelope, this refers to open versus closed fractures. Moving on to the stability classification, this is basically divided into stable and unstable fractures. Stable fractures are typically transverse or short oblique, while unstable fractures are either comminuted or a long spiral with a fracture length that is greater than two times the bone diameter at that level. As far as the presentation of pediatric femoral shaft fractures, symptoms include thigh pain, inability to walk, as well as report of deformity or instability. On physical exam, you may notice gross deformity, shortening, and or swelling of the thigh. With respect to imaging, 
radiographs of the AP and the lateral of the femur, as well as an ipsilateral AP and lateral of the knee and the hip are recommended. With respect to the AP and lateral of the femur, this allows for complete evaluation of the fracture location, configuration, and amount of displacement. With respect to ipsilateral AP and lateral of the knee and the hip, these are important to rule out associated injuries. Treatment of pediatric femoral shaft fractures can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management can include pavlic harness, spica casting, or traction plus delayed spica casting. A pavlic harness is indicated for children less than 6 months old for any fracture pattern. Spica casting is indicated for children 0 to 5 years old, and it's relatively contraindicated with polytrauma, open fractures, and shortening greater than 2 to 3 centimeters. With respect to traction plus delayed spica casting, indications include younger patients with significant shortening, but this is rarely utilized. Operative options include flexible intramedullary nails, submuscular bridge plate fixation, antegrade rigid intramedullary nail fixation, and external fixation. Flexible intramedullary nails are indicated for most length-stable fracture patterns in children 5 to 11 years old weighing less than 49 kilograms or 100 pounds. Submuscular bridge plate fixation is indicated for unstable fractures in children greater than 5 years old and greater than 49 kilograms or 100 pounds. Submuscular bridge plate fixation is also indicated for very proximal or very distal fractures and in cases with severe comminution. Antegrade rigid intramedullary nail fixation is indicated in patients greater than 11 years old or approaching skeletal maturity. It's also indicated for unstable fracture patterns and for fractures in patients weighing greater than 49 kilograms or 100 pounds. External fixation is indicated for damage control orthopedics in a polytrauma patient, open fractures, associated vascular injuries requiring revascularization, and for segmental or significantly comminuted fractures. So as far as the treatment table by age for pediatric femoral shaft fractures for patients less than six months with any fracture pattern, either a pavlic harness or early spica casting is used. For patients six months to five years with a stable fracture pattern, early spica casting is used in this setting. For patients six months to five years with an unstable fracture pattern or for polytrauma as well as multiple slash open fractures, these patients are treated with either traction with delayed spica casting or external fixation. For patients 5 to 11 years old of any weight with length unstable fractures that are either comminuted or spiral, or patients with very proximal or distal fractures can be treated with an ORIF with submuscular bridge plating or external fixation. Patients older than 11 years that weigh greater than 49 kilograms or 100 pounds are typically treated with antegrade rigid intramedullary nail fixation. Patients older than 11 years with very proximal or distal fractures or with severe comminution are typically treated with ORIF with submuscular bridge plating. Now, let's go over some of these surgical techniques in a bit more detail. A pavlic harness avoids the need for sedation or anesthesia. As far as complications of using a pavlic harness, this can compress the femoral nerve if excessive hip flexion is used in the presence of a swollen thigh. This is identified by decreased quadriceps function. As far as the technique for immediate spica casting, this is applied with reduction under sedation or with general anesthesia. Typically, you will place either a single leg spica or a one and one half spica to control rotation. Distal femoral buckle fractures may be treated with long leg cast alone, not a spica. The technique for spica casting calls for hips flexed to 60 to 90 degrees and approximately 30 degrees of abduction. External rotation is typically needed to correct a rotational deformity. 
The spica casts are molded into recurvatum and valgus as the muscular forces will pull the fracture into procurvatum and varus. Molds along the distal femoral condyles and buttocks help to maintain reduction. Acceptable limits are based on age. The goal of reduction should include obtaining less than or equal to 10 degrees of coronal plane and less than or equal to 20 degrees of sagittal plane deformity with no more than 2 centimeters of shortening or 10 degrees of rotational malalignment. A special car seat is sometimes needed for transport, but often you can use a regular car seat if a single leg spica is used. As far as complications of immediate spica casting, compartment syndrome is something to be aware of. However, the risk is decreased with applying smooth contours around the popliteal fossa, limiting knee flexion to less than 90 degrees, and avoiding excessive traction. The risk of compartment syndrome can also be decreased by avoiding applying a short leg cast first, followed by traction on the popliteal fossa. Remember to monitor for compartment syndrome by observing the child's neurovascular exam and level of comfort. As far as outcomes for immediate spica casting, healing times vary from 4 to 8 weeks based on age. With respect to traction plus delayed spica casting, the technique involves placing traction in the distal femur proximal to the distal femoral physis. Proximal tibial traction can cause recurvatum due to damage to the tibial tubercle apophysis. This is typically used for 2 to 3 weeks to allow early callus formation. Spica casting is then applied until fracture healing. However, keep in mind that there are more complications with traction plus delayed spica casting than immediate spica casting. Moving on to flexible intramedullary nails, the approach can be an all-distal approach or a distal and proximal approach. With respect to the all-distal approach, a 2-centimeter incision is made medially and laterally at the level of the distal physis, then spread with a hemostat to the starting point 2 centimeters proximal to the physis. With the distal and proximal approach, a 2-centimeter incision is made laterally at the level of the distal physis, and a 2-centimeter incision is made proximally at the greater trochanter apophysis. As far as instrumentation, nail size is determined by multiplying the width of the isthmus of the femoral canal by 0.4. The goal is 80% canal fill. As far as complications, the most common complication is pain at the insertion site near the knee and this happens in up to 40% of patients, and it's recommended that less than 25 millimeters of nail protrusion and a minimal bend of the nail outside the femur are present. Keep in mind that there is an increased rate of complications in patients 11 years or up, or in patients greater than 50 kilograms. Malunion is another potential complication, and there is increased rates with comminuted, shortened, or very proximal-slash-distal fractures. As far as outcomes of flexible intramedullary nails, generally this option has good outcomes, time to union is typically 10 to 12 weeks, and removal of the nail can be performed at one year. With respect to submuscular bridge plate fixation, the approach involves a laterally based incision and plating with minimal disruption of the soft tissue envelope. Small proximal and distal incisions are used, and the plate is placed between the periosteum and vastus lateralis on the lateral side of the femur. With this option, the fracture is provisionally reduced with closed or percutaneous techniques. As far as instrumentation, you will typically use a 12 to 16 hole, 4.5 millimeter narrow LCDC plate with three screws proximal and three screws distal to the fracture. The plate may need to be bent to accommodate the natural bend of the femur. Contoured femur plates are also an option. Complications of submuscular bridge plate fixation include hardware removal and refracture following hardware removal. As far as outcomes for this option, there's a favorable time to union, weight-bearing, hardware irritation, and limp outcomes. Moving on to anti-grade rigid intramedullary nail fixation, 
the approach can be a trochanteric entry nail or a lateral entry nail. Remember to avoid a piriformis entry due to the risk of injury of the vascularity to the femoral head. With respect to the soft tissues, a lateral incision is made proximal to the greater trochanter, then sharp or electrocautery dissection is done through the fascia lata to obtain the starting point at the tip of the greater trochanter. You can use either a closed versus open reduction of the fracture. As far as instrumentation, with the fracture reduced, follow steps to insert the intramedullary nail with caution to not cross the distal physis. As far as complications for an antegrade rigid intramedullary nail fixation for pediatric femoral shaft fractures, osteonecrosis risk is 1-2% with a piriformis start in a patient with an open proximal physis. The exact risk of osteonecrosis with greater trochanter and lateral entry nails are unknown. Secondary deformities of the proximal femur can occur after greater trochanteric insertions. These include narrowing of the femoral neck, premature fusion of the greater trochanteric apophysis, coxivalga, and hip subluxation. As far as outcomes of this option, there is decreased risk of angular malunion and favorable outcomes in adolescence with the use of an antegrade rigid intramedullary nail fixation. Finally, external fixation with respect to technique. This is applied laterally to avoid disruption and scarring of the quadriceps. 10 to 16 weeks of fixation is typically needed for solid union weight-bearing. Weight-bearing as tolerated can be considered with stiff constructs. As far as complications of external fixation, there are more complications than with internal fixation. These include things like pin tract infections, which are frequent, and there are as high as 50% of fixator-related complications. Treat pin tract infections with oral antibiotics and pin site care. External fixation also has higher rates of delayed union, non-union, and malunion. There's increased risk of refracture that is 1.5 to 21% after removal of the fixator, especially with varus malunion. Finally, let's go over some overall surgical complications. These include things like leg length discrepancy, osteonecrosis of the femoral head, non-union and malunion, and refracture. With respect to leg length discrepancy, this can be manifested either as overgrowth or shortening. With respect to overgrowth, this is the most common complication in younger patients. 0.7 to 2 centimeters is common in patients less than 10 years old. This typically occurs within two years of injury. As far as shortening, this is acceptable if shortening is less than 2 to 3 centimeters because of anticipated overgrowth in young patients. However, patients can be symptomatic if shortening is greater than 2 to 3 centimeters. Temporary traction or fixation is typically used to prevent persistent shortening. Moving on to osteonecrosis of the femoral head, this is reported with both piriformis and greater trochanteric entry nails. Femoral nailing through the piriformis fossa is contraindicated in adolescents with open physes because of the risk of osteonecrosis of the femoral head. Remember that the main supply to the femoral head is the deep branch of the medial femoral circumflex artery. This branches into superior retinacular vessels that supply the femoral head. The deep branch of the medial femoral circumflex artery is vulnerable as it lies near the piriformis fossa. As far as non-union and malunion, there is a higher risk with load-bearing devices, for example, an external fixator or a submuscular plate. Non-union and malunion can occur after flexible intramedullary nailing in patients aged over 11 years old or patients who weigh greater than 49 kilograms or greater than 100 pounds. The typical deformity is varus plus flexion of the distal fragment. Remodeling is greatest in the sagittal plane. Remember that rotational malalignment does not remodel. Nearly 50% of fractures treated with flexible nails have 15 degrees of malalignment. 
Finally, as far as refracture, this is most common after external fixator removal with varus alignment. That's all for this review about pediatric femoral shaft fractures. Hopefully that was helpful. Look out for questions related to this topic on this weekend's question session, and hopefully this episode will have prepared you for that review. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.